You may be seated, and I know it's a Wednesday night, and this is a Bible study night and a teaching, preaching night, and I have a few things to share, open my heart to you about this evening. Um, in Exodus, we look back to the book of um, Exodus chapter 25 and through 31, and we read there how God gave all these different instructions on Mount Sinai for the building of the tabernacle to house his presence, the Old, Te uh, Old Testament tabernacle. And in the outer courtyard, we see that there was the brazen altar. If you've seen pictures or diagrams and read through this in your Bible, the brazen altar nearest the entrance had the laver of water there. And the brazen altar was a place of death and a place of bloodshed and sin had to be covered by blood before man could fellowship with a holy God. And then have the laver of water and um, there of the brazen laver. It was a ceremonial washing of the priest, which was required before ministering at the brazen altar or before entering into the tabernacle. Then we go inside the tent. And there it's the holy place, and it housed the candlestick and the table of shewbread, the golden altar of incense. And there, read about this golden candlestick provided light for the priest to perform duties in the holy place. Then the table of shewbread, uh, showbread consisted of 12 loaves of unleavened bread. And then the altar of incense you would come to and had the perfume fragrance of, in of incense. It was offered to God twice a day, morning and evening. And then you go inside of the tent was the Holy of Holies. And we read so much and sing and talk about the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant rested there. And God's presence dwelt above the mercy seat between the two cherubim in the Holy of Holies. And inside the Ark were the tables of the law and a pot of manna. And later, we read of Aaron's rod, that, uh, that butter that was placed there. But tonight, uh, this is such an incredible tabernacle plan and so many insights as we read through this. But I want to look a little bit closer at just one piece of this incredible tabernacle plan and focus my teaching around that tonight. And that is the golden candlestick. If you can turn to your Bibles in Exodus 27, chapter 20 through 21, the opening of Exodus begins to lay out the plans in 27, chapter 27, for the altar of the burnt offering or the brazen altar. And it continues with plans for the courtyard of the tabernacle. And finally, we come to this focus text for the care of the lampstand, which was the light of the tabernacle. In Exodus 2720 reads, and ye shall command the children of Israel that they bring the pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. And verse 21 says, and in the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening unto morning before the Lord. Said it shall be a statute forever to the generations on behalf of the children of Israel. If you take time to read through the Old Testament, and you, especially in Exodus, you can't help but notice list after list of detailed 
and specific instructions for every single aspect of the tabernacle. Amen. We've all read through that, hopefully. And as we come across this, and just concerning the golden lampstand or the candlestick, Moses describes its design in Exodus 25. He talks all about the design. And then in Exodus 37, he spends time talking about the construction. And then in Exodus 40, he talks about the placement. He goes through the design, the construction, and then the placement. And as I was reading this, uh, it sounded a little bit like a husband and a wife to me, picking out the decorations for the house, at least in my family. Uh, for me, when I consider a decorative piece, I don't know if any men here agree with me, I simply want to know, is it necessary? How much does it cost? And is it on sale? Can we find that on sale, right? But my wife, she cares about the design. She cares about the construction, who made it, who designed it, and how is it made, and especially the placement, right? You're right. You're left. No, no back. No. And as a rookie husband, I would catch myself many times making this great mistake, saying, Alanda, I really don't care. Yeah. How many have ever been there <laughs> I mean, I mean, I care, but I don't care. But I, but now that I'm, I'm a 10-year veteran, we celebrate our 10-year anniversary. And I tell her now, I said, babe, I, I really care about our home. And what's important to you, that's important to me. And I have so much faith in you. And I trust you that you can figure this out and handle it all by yourself. I know, she doesn't believe me either when I say it. But it sounds better, right? But I want to remind you tonight that if someone tells you that God does not care about the details and the specifics of your life, you shouldn't believe what they're saying either. Amen. We understand that God didn't lay down his life so we could live our best life and choose however we please to live. Amen. Romans 6, 15 through 16 reads, what then? Shall we sin because we are under the grace, under the law, but under grace? Said certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slave to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, hey, that we should trust in the Lord, amen, with all of our heart and lean not into our own understanding, but in every single way of our life, every specific detail of every aspect, every season, every transition, in every way of our lives, we should acknowledge God, amen, we should acknowledge his word, and he then is going to direct our paths. And this lesson tonight, I simply challenge each and every one of us to examine whose design we're living after and take great caution about the construction and what our lives are built and made out of and consider where and into what we are placing ourselves and our families. And I don't know about you, but every opportunity that I have, I'm going to take it to hold up the mirror of God's word into my life, amen, to reveal anything that's not pleasing and acceptable in his sight and say, Lord, help me get this in line with you. God, help me to figure out the details of my life because I want everything to bring glory and honor to you, amen. So as we look back to these instructions given to the priests, Exodus 27, we see that 
tending to this candlestick was a part of the priest of their daily service. And it wasn't a weekly or a monthly service. It was a daily service, a daily task on their list. And the reason was very simple. The Lord made it clear that the lamp were never supposed to go out. Day and night, the fires burn and the light was to shine. I want to remind you of where our light comes from. John 1, 6 through 9 says that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. And he, John, he was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light of Jesus Christ. That was the true light, which giveth light to us, to every man coming into the world. First John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And thank God the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, it cleanses us from all sin. Amen? Amen. Ephesians 5, 8, for once you were in darkness, but now you are light. Amen? We walk as children of the light. And 1 Peter 2, 9, but we, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness. Amen. How many of you have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light? If you're thankful that Jesus Christ showed mercy on you and saved you from darkness and filled you with his marvelous light, can we take a moment and just thank him for that? Lord, that you are the source of our light. You are the source of strength. You are our help, oh God. And we take a moment here to recognize, God, your saving grace and your power and your hand and your work in our lives. Amen. Now, I am uh, blessed with two wonderful kids. Zara, two years old, cute as can be, about to turn three years old. And Lincoln's six. Unfortunately, he's sick tonight, so they're at home watching online. Hi, guys. But we're right in this exciting season of uh, children, of childhood. We're reading the Bible stories, and I get to break back the picture Bible. You know, some of you guys would rather get more out of it sometimes and uh, of that picture Bible and all these deep insights. I still, growing up, I, I hear a story, somebody preaches, and I have this flashback to these pictures in this Bible that I had as a kid. And we're sharing these moments and reading these uh, these this picture Bible and singing these wonderful Sunday school songs. And as I read through these scriptures and when I see this reference to the candlesticks, you know, it's coming and light. Without fail, I'm taking back to this song that we're singing, this little light of mine, amen? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, amen? It says, everywhere I go, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine, one verse says, don't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. We all know that this isn't just a cute, catchy children's song, right? And this is a deep truth of the word of God that every child 
student and adult has to be ingrained deep in their soul. And Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says that you are the light of the world. You're a city that's set up on a hill that cannot be hidden. It says, nor do they light a lamp and put under a basket, um, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16 says, so let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Turn to somebody next to you and tell them, that, hey, you're the light of the world. And as a church, we must continually shine for Jesus Christ. In 1962 in Santa Barbara, California, something was started that would revolutionize North America. It's Motel 6. I know that's not what you're expecting. But over the next 24 years, that franchise would grow and in hopes of further expansion. In 1986, the voice of National Public Radio, Tom Bedette, began featuring that famous tagline, we'll leave the light on for you, right? How many of you have heard that a time or two in your life? I was studying the deep things of God last night. I somehow ended up reading uh, reviews, Motel 6 reviews. And, yeah, the Lord was just leading me in these deep places with God. and It's called distraction. It was the enemy. I read this one negative review, this Motel 6, where a guest, a recent guest said, you know, I wish they wouldn't have left the light on. And they begin to talk about the poor conditions of the hotel. I'm like, ooh. Another review said, I finally understand why they promised to leave the light on. That area in which that hotel was located is so bad. It's terrifying when they turn the lights out. I apologize for the bad press. If you're an owner of stock in Motel 6 or the MY6 Rewards Program, but I was thinking that maybe we could adopt that slogan as a church in Apostolics. If we really believe, I'll be serious for a moment, if we really believe as a church, we are so blessed and we sing about the grace of God and His mercy and all He's done for us, but if we really believe that we're the hope of the world, if we really believe that there are people who are lost in the darkness, then we can't afford to go not one day without the light of Jesus Christ shining bright. Amen. We can't afford students to go back to schools or to go to work or go to the grocery store or go to the gym without our lights burning for him. Amen. On behalf of those who desperately need Jesus, we need to commit to them that, hey, we'll leave the light on for you. And God, help us as a church, amen, and as individuals to keep our light shining wherever we go. God, help us to shine hope to the hopelessness, amen, to illuminate somebody's life with the light of Jesus Christ. We have that same commandment that was given to Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13, 47. For so the Lord had commanded us that I have set you as a light. Turn to somebody next to say, you are the light. He said, I've set you as a light that you should be salvation to the ends of the earth. Amen. We're that light. And for the fun of it, turn to somebody next to you and say, hey, I'm going to leave the light on for you. Now, the candlestick and the light are powerful. And then it's an important component of the tabernacle plan and in the life of every believer. And yes, 
Ultimately, Jesus is the source of all light. Amen? But more specifically, our opening text tells us that there is another component of the light. In Exodus 27, 20 says, And ye shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil pressed of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. In order for there to be light, the oil must be provided. If we jump uh, one chapter ahead in Leviticus 24 and 1, this chapter begins with instructions on the care of the tabernacle lamps. And it reads, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring to you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to make the lamps burn continually. Now, people have been using and consuming olive oil for thousands and thousands of years. It's now more popular than ever worldwide thanks to its proven health benefits and culinary usefulnesses. Uh, Today, Spain is actually the largest producer of olive oil by volume, followed by Italy and Greece. And all through the Old Testament, olive oil was used for so many household applications, for cooking oil, for food, for soap making, cosmetics, religious ceremonies, medicinal use, and finally for lighting of fuel. Its production was one of the major sources of income in the Holy Land for over thousands and thousands of years. Now, while olive oil had many different practical uses, we also see it all throughout Scripture of the oil being used in reference to something very special, and that is the anointing of God. Amen? Amen. Anointing oil was to set something apart, to consecrate an object or a person to God. The anointing of a stone pillar signified that that place where it was erected was sacred to God. The tabernacle and its furnishings and the instruments were anointed with oil, and it set them apart from that which was common to something sacred for a sacred function. The anointing of Aaron and the subsequent high priests of Israel was for um, consecratory purposes. Kings and prophets were anointed and it served to convey power and they had the ability to perform the function for which they were being anointed. Is further, it designated that that person had been chosen by God. And so kings in particular could be referred to as the Lord's anointed. And then in the New Testament, we see the anointing of oil for the sick and laying on of hands. But we see how the anointing of God comes into our lives after receiving the powerful gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 10, 38, Peter preaches to Cornelius. He said, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went above doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Luke 4.18 says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. How many are thankful for the anointing power of the Holy Ghost in your life? Amen. Yes, we're called to be a light in the darkness, but thank God we were not left 
out on our own, with our own might, with our own power, with our own intellect, with our own ability. Because within ourselves, we don't have what it takes to serve him. Amen. Within ourselves, we don't have what it takes to accomplish his mission on this earth. But with him, with the power of his spirit, with the anointing of the Holy Ghost, we have what it takes that all things are possible through him. Through the anointing of the Holy Ghost, we have the supernatural power and the ability to do what we could not do on our own. Thank you, God, for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Amen. In regards to the oil, the, the aspect of the tabernacle plan that we're focusing on tonight is that candlestick. And the important detail about the lighting of the candlestick was that it must always be burning and it must always be shining as our lives should. And therefore, it's absolutely essential that there is a constant reserve, a constant flow of the oil and of the spirit in our lives for there to be a constant flame and a shining light. Matthew 25, 1 through 4 this is the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins. And verse 1 says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins. They took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise, five of them were foolish. Those who were foolish, they took the lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took the oil in their vessels with their lamps. When it was time for them to be called upon, when it was time for them to be the light in the darkness, when they came into that situation, when that moment presented itself to them, they had to have the, the lamps full of the oil. Reminds me of that tragic story of Samson, anointed by God in a supernatural way with strain. But Samson had allowed things in his life to bring him down. And then when it came time for him to activate his anointing and his power, Judges 16.20 says, But he did not even know that the Lord had departed him. And that's not God's plan for his life, amen? That's not his plan for the believer and for his church. His promise is that we would be endued with the anointing power from on high when the Holy Ghost comes upon us and fills us. And we need to make up in our minds as a church, understanding our purpose and understanding our commandment to shine our light at all times, every day, that we've got to stay full of the Spirit of God. We've got to stay connected to that flow of that spirit of God, of his anointing power producing the light of Jesus Christ in our lives. So yes, we must always leave the light on for Jesus Christ. And yes, in order for us to continually shine, we must have a continual supply of oil, of God's spirit in our lives. But there's one final detail in our opening text that I don't want us to miss, and that's about the oil. In Exodus 27, 20 to 21, it, it reads, verse 20, And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil, pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. And here in the scripture, we see a, a special note that not just any oil could be gathered. 
for the sacred use of the temple. Specific instructions in Exodus 27.20 and Leviticus 24.2 mention that there must be olive oil and the olive oil must be pure. Today there are different grades and standards of pure olive oil defined, I didn't know this, by the International Olive Council. Didn't know that existed, it does. But in summary, I found there are five different types of olive oil. There's extra virgin olive oil. There's virgin olive oil. There's refined olive oil. There's olive pomace, pomace olive oil and Lepante oil. At the top of that list, extra virgin is that the highest grade. That's the best tasting olive oil. But to be certified as extra virgin on that label, it must consist of that olive coming from the press, the first Pressing of the olives within 24 hours of the harvest of the olive. It's usually in August and November. So it had to take place quick. And the olive must be extracted by non-chemical and a non-mechanical means without the use of excessive heat, specifically below 82 degrees. Then the free fatty acid or the city level must be less than 0.8%. It must be defect Free, having a perfect taste and a perfect aroma. Now, I know some of you are beyond caring about the details of olive oil, and you're saying just pass the ranch dressing, right? But to those who love olive oil, like our dear pastor, is surprisingly detailed and specific about what type of olive oil he buys. Sounds so out of character for him, doesn't it? If you only knew. But to some, purity matters. If you know my wife, she also takes her health and our family's health pretty serious. Started for her as a teenager because of some health conditions, but also some health convictions. And she really started studying and researching what she ate and drank and what you bring into your body, and how it's pure or impure, and how it has effects on your health. And I did not know and did not have that deep revelation at any point in my life, but I'm slowly seeing the light. I'm an ongoing project for her, which I say she might refer to me as her thorn in the flesh, but I can remember a low point in our marriage when I would try to sneak junk food purchases from her. She'd check our bank account statements and bust me. But then I started getting smart. And I would get something for her from the grocery store. And get a low amount of cash back. And then sneak to get a donut or something from fast food on the way home. I know. I need help. I said it was a low point for me. But one day I came home from this grocery store run. And when I kissed her, when I came home, she stopped dead in her tracks. And she sniffed. I'm like, oh, I'm busted. And she said, burgers? <laughs> I was pretty impressed, to be honest. Like, she named what food I had. And then she went to another level, and she said, crystal burgers? I was like, whoa! At, at this point, I was just like, we need to get her on a show. Like, we can make money off of this. This is, this is a true talent. But in all seriousness, I, I love and I appreciate her cooking and her looking out for 
our families, our health, and the change in the way we think about food. Because most food in North America, to be realistic, is not pure, and it's not in its natural form. There's plenty of uh, documentaries that you can read and watch um, on Netflix. There's so many additives and preservatives and processed ingredients that make the food so unhealthy, but so delicious. I still have my food struggles, but my son, Lincoln, he's slowly being converted, um, being grown up, eating healthy. And our family, we're on this vacation uh, this past year, and Lincoln and my nephew, Rhett, they kept arguing back and forth, like, who was praying over the meals? And I know we're such a spiritual family, we pray over, a fight over who prays for the meals, and... Rhett, he kept praying this classic prayer, and if you know Rhett, he will not be denied. He's got a pretty strong personality, and he kept praying that classic, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, and as it goes. But Lincoln, who would, could not handle Rhett's prayer, he was so mad, he would even start covering his ears like, ah, every time Rhett was praying, and we couldn't figure it out, and later, Lincoln's talked to me, said, Dad, we don't like Rhett's prayer, do we? It's like... <laughs> Like, I tried to explain, I'm like, bud, his prayer, that's just fine, that's okay. Not all prayers are the same, bud, but as long as we're sincere and it comes from the heart, that's, that's what counts. Lincoln sharply answered, and no, dad, Red says, thank you, Lord, for daily bread and wheat paleo. It's gluten-free. It's like, oh. So, yeah, he's going to get beat up sometimes, Pray a prayer of protection over my son. But foods that are organic and in their purest form, that's important to many, important to my wife and others, according to the Organic Trade Association. They said in 2018 that organic sales broke the 50 billion dollar mark for the first time. That's up 30 billion dollars in the last 10 years alone because some people feel that pureness matters. In the Old Testament for the sacred use of the tabernacle, God was teaching his people through every means possible. And he was doing just that by demanding not just any kind of olive oil, but pure olive oil, and more specifically, pureness for the golden candlestick. And in ancient times, there was a special process to get pure oil that was a little more tedious and time-consuming than generic olive oil. The first step for pure oil requires bruising and breaking the fresh olives. The purpose of the breaking is to tear this flesh cells to facilitate the release of this oil from the vacuoles of the olives. It was because of this bruising and breaking. And hear me tonight, in each and every one of our lives, there has to be a constant breaking up of ourselves and a release of a pure flow of the anointing of God's Spirit within us. Amen? Hosea 10, 12 says it like this. So for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time for you to seek the Lord until he comes and he rains righteousness on you. 
Paul addresses the Romans in Acts 28, 27, and he says this, for their hearts of this people have grown dull. They've hardened their hearts. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they've closed. And church, there is a great danger of allowing impure attitudes and influences and spirits of this world to enter into the church and to our lives and to our families that can create a hard ground there the spirit of God to move. It's so important that we constantly go through a process of breaking, of repenting, of bruising, of anything that's seeped into our hearts and into our spirits. Amen? Amen. To God help us to never allow a hardness to settle in, but let there be soft and fertile ground where the impure anointing power and spirit of God can work through us. The second step was the extraction and the purification of the pure olive oil away from the remaining parts of the olive. Nothing could be more needed for the church today that's surrounded by ungodly environments, especially with the influences of modern media and social media. And each and every one of our lives, there's got to be a process of extraction and purification from the things of this world. 1 John 3, 1 through 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And verse 3 says, And everyone who has this hope in him that purifies himself just as he is pure. James 4, 8 says, Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James explains we must have a process in every one of our lives of extracting sin and extracting impurities from the oil of God. Just like that pure oil in the olive, we must do like James says, retreat from this world and draw closer to God and the things of God every chance we get. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What part of has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple, the tabernacle of the living God. And as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their people, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Verse 17, therefore come from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Remember, the purity of the oil shows that it was set apart, and nothing corrupt or common was signified by it. And I challenge us tonight to have a greater desire to draw closer to God than ever before. I challenge us to take time tonight in God's presence to have some open and transparent conversations with Him. And in His presence, allow a purification process to start over again in our lives. That the anointing oil of God, of His Spirit, is pure within our lives. I want to mention one last part of the olive oil press. 
after the olive oil was crushed and that initial oil was extracted, the olive could then be completely ground up and additional oil could be extracted. It's called malaxing. It's called mixing. And the pace for 20 to 45 minutes, it would allow these small droplets of oil to combine into bigger ones. But here's the difference. The first oil that is extracted is by far purer than the remaining amounts of oil. And I want to finally point out that you cannot produce pure oil in your life and in your family if you're giving God your second best. Amen? That's one of the most established principles in the word of God. Exodus 23, that you shall have no other gods before me. That's echoed in the New Testament, Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added unto you. If you and I and as our church want to represent Jesus Christ as a light in the darkness and serve him in a pure way, we must make sure that he is absolutely first in our lives, first in our relationships, more than career, more than media, more than money, more than hobbies, more than sports, more than any other thing. He must be first. Some try to portray that the things of their lives are pure and things are in order in their lives. But let's be honest, nobody's fooling God, right? The Israelites, they could have tried to use an impure form of oil. They may have fooled the other Israelites. It may have gotten past a priest's inspection. And the flame it would have still burned and produced the appearance of light. But nobody's fooling God, amen? So let's be honest with ourselves and remind ourselves that nothing gets past him. He knows all things. He sees all things. It can be so easy to get in a cycle where we're so busy focusing on ourselves and focusing on our lives. And we can get caught up worrying about what others think about ourselves. And we catch ourselves going through the motions and dropping our guard. And in our relationship with God, we drop that filter that needs to be in our lives. And before we notice, we're trying to live for God and burn our lights and shine for Him with impure oil. First Timothy, we read of the many impurities that can come in the last days. Men will be lovers of themselves, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And the word said that these people, they have a form of godliness. They have the form of oil, but they deny its pure power. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says, For of this sort are those who creep into the households. They make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. I pray tonight that the word of God would speak to us loud and clear. The enemy would like nothing more than to creep into our lives and into our families and into our church and to take what God intended to be pure and holy and set apart for his service and causing it to be impure and unholy. Amen? But let us fight being our spirits tonight. That says not today. Amen? That says not in my life, not in my family, not in my ministry, not in my church. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Psalms 24, 3 through 5 says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has lifted up his soul to an idol, who has not lifted it up, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Let our prayer be today, God, give us clean hands and a pure heart. Amen. As the musicians return, I'm so thankful for the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. I want to take us to the place as I close where Jesus offered an anguished prayer just before his betrayal and his arrest. That dreadful night, he had uh, gathered together with his disciples and with great purpose and intention, he arrived at the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane is an Aramaic word which simply means an oil press. How perfect that Jesus gathered at Gethsemane, an olive yard at the foot of the Mount of Olives on our behalf. And following that night, like the olive, Jesus' body was bruised. It was wounded. It was beaten for our transgressions and our iniquities. And like the oil, Jesus was pure. He was spotless. He was blameless. And he became the full and final sacrifice for our sins. And like the candlestick, he is the light shining in the darkness. Because of the price that he paid, he is the hope of the world. And because of that, that anointing oil of his spirit has been poured out. It can flow freely in us and it can shine through us. Hallelujah. Brother Woodward preached on Sunday. What a tremendous message, his teaching, his preaching. And he talked about the first and the second Adam on Sunday. And how fitting that the sinful disobedience of the first Adam in the Garden of Eden was undone because of the prayerful obedience of the last Adam, Jesus Christ, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Can we stand tonight and just take a moment and thank Jesus Christ for the sacrifice that he made for us and the price that he paid. Jesus, we love you and we thank you tonight from the bottom of our hearts, oh God. Lord, for your mercy and your grace in our lives, for the reminder, oh God, that you've called us out of darkness, that you paid that price, that our sins could be forgiven, that they could be washed away in waters of baptism in your name. Ah, that we could be filled uh, with hope and power and strength, that we could be filled with your spirit and with your power and your anointing oil, oh God. We thank you, oh God, that you have called us, oh God, and consider us to be a light in the darkness. We praise you and we thank you tonight. Isaiah 61 says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. And man, as we make our way to this time of front for uh, an altar service, a response to the word of God, Atlanta West, the glory of 
of the Lord is being restored to our church. His power and His Spirit is flowing and working in a mighty and a miraculous way. And I believe that the best is yet to come, amen. But let us be reminded tonight that we must always be that city set on a hill. We must always be a light to whatever darkness that we find ourselves in. But let us be reminded that in order for our lights to shine, we may stay full of the anointing power of God's Spirit. That there must be a continual flow of His presence and His Spirit in His lives. That while we're abundantly blessed to have access to the free-flowing oil of the Spirit, we must not neglect that process of purity within us. We need pure oil in our lives. Amen. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen. Let's pray at this time. God, create in me a clean heart. God, renew a right spirit within me, O Lord. God, I praise you tonight. I thank you right now for our church family as we gather together. God, we are abundantly blessed, Lord, with your presence, with our family here tonight. And I ask, oh God, that we be reminded of our purpose uh, to continually shine our light for you. God, that wherever we go, God, you called us to shine that light. When we go to work, when we go to school, God, we can't afford one moment. We can't afford, God, We can't afford to miss one divine moment created by you to shine our light, God. So help us tonight to make sure that our lives are full of your spirit, that our vessels are full of oil, God. But Lord, I pray that there be a pureness within us, that we would take time to know that we have clean hands, that we have a clean heart before you. Let no impurities, God, come inside of me. Lord, let nothing separate me from you, God. Let my life 